Hello, my brothers and sisters in Christ. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark and Bemidji's podcast, the program that is sweeter to the ears than the secondary injectors of a turbo mecha jet engine kicking in on startup. There's never a bad time to study God's Word. The sun is setting. Soon, night will come when no one will be able to work. This is the perfect time to think on what God wants us to know about life, the afterlife, and everything in between. Thanks for stopping in today. As I mentioned in our last show, I'm working to mix things up on the podcast, introduce some variety to the meditations that we have on hand. I've got some ideas, so stay tuned. In keeping with that idea, today we will listen to a Wednesday night service sermon from our church in Bemidji. Just in case you didn't know, all through the season of Lent, in other words, until Easter, we have services Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Come as you are. I usually come in with engine soot on my fingers, so don't let the everyday grind keep you from finding a place among friends. This sermon is based on Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, and is titled, His Final Steps Led to His Father's House. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. These words are the basis of our meditation tonight. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. You may be seated. After Palm Sunday, one of the first things that our Lord Jesus did was go up to the temple. It was Passover week. And this was by no means the first time Jesus had been in the temple. It was by no means the first time that He had been in the temple right before Passover week. In fact, very early on in Jesus, um, it, 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 in that period that we often refer to as the lost years of Christ, we find that Jesus had been there as a child. And we hear about that incident of when Jesus goes up to the temple with His earthly mother and father, Mary and Joseph. As he got into the temple for that first time, you think maybe he had a spring in his step? As he walked up the hill into Jerusalem as a boy, you think he looked up to that big temple sitting on the Temple Mount and thought, that's where my Father's Word is. I'm home. That's where my Father's house is. This is the place that's to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The one place to worship the one true God. Even with that in mind, is it any wonder that during Holy Week, some of our Savior's final steps led to His Father's house? 
While he was there with his mother and father, he certainly treats that temple like it's home. Even after the Passover festival was over, you recall that story? Mary and Joseph and their traveling group had left. But where does Jesus remain? He remains in the temple. I suppose we could wonder why. But do you think as a very uh, as, as a 12-year-old as boy, we hear about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature in the eyes of God and men. In other words, he grew up just like us. He learned just like we learned. He played just like we played. And as a 12-year-old boy, going up to that temple at Passover, and hearing the story of the Passover, and how it was by a lamb's blood that was painted on the door frames of the houses that that tenth and awful final plague, the angel of death that passed over Egypt and wiped out the firstborn, that that, evil, that awful plague would pass over the homes of all those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of those houses. And there's 12-year-old Jesus, and He's looking up, and He begins to realize, I'm the Lamb. I'm the true Passover Lamb. And He has to stay in His temple. It's His Father's house. It's where His Father's Word is. He has to be about His Father's business. That's what He tells His mother. When Mary and Joseph find Him finally after a three-day search, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? See, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. He said to them, Why were you looking for me? <laughs> Did you not know that I must be taking care of my father's business? Don't you know I had to be about my father's business? Why were you looking for me? He says. I'm in my father's house. This is the only account in the Scripture, as I said, that touches on the so-called silent years or lost years of Jesus. It tells us a story about what Jesus, how Jesus viewed His father's house. And throughout His life, Every year, he went back up to Jerusalem for the Passover. But as an adult, during his three years of ministry, things began to change. He started to preach. He started to teach. John informs us that as Passover was drawing near again, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went to the temple. And this time, in the last week of his life, what's he find there? This place that was supposed to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. This place that held his father's word. What does he find? He finds people exchanging currency. He finds people selling cattle, selling birds, selling doves. All about business. None of it was God's business. All of it was their own business. Get these things out of here, he said. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. And Jesus was filled with zeal for his father's house. So no wonder that his final steps in the last week of his life led him back home. Back to his father's house. 
As I said, Jesus was appalled by what he found in there. He was appalled by what he walked into. His father's house, his place of worship and prayer, had been turned into a den of thieves, as he calls it. And Jesus enters into the temple courts and he drives out all who were buying and selling. He grabs the tables and he turns them over. He realizes that this, is a, this place needs a cleansing. It needs to be fixed. The focus needs to be readjusted on why this place is here and why it's, what, what it's for. He said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. It's not the first time that Jesus found his father's house this way. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he found it the same way. This is the second time in three years that Jesus has cleansed the temple in this way. Single-handedly, driving out cattle, overturning tables, dumping out money changers. And, and you, you think about the logistics of this. You know there was a Roman fort that was attached to the back of that temple? The temple had police, temple police, Levites, guards. Not like little 100-pound weaklings, but some of these same guys would be the ones that would later on in the week hold him down and drive the nails into his hands. But not this day. This day, Jesus takes matters into his own hands. And as I said, for the second time in three years, he drives out these money changers. He drives out these, these, uh, the, the, the farmers who were selling their cattle there as sacrifices. And he cleanses the temple to remind God's people, to remind everybody what it was there for. I think. You know, sometimes we read a text like this or we come across like this and, and either we don't really understand why Jesus did what He did or we get the impression uh, of being a little bit self-righteous. How could the Jews have fallen to such a low level so as to turn God's house into a place where, where they were just making money, where they cared more about the almighty dollar or shekel than about the worship and prayer. I'd be careful walking down that path and assuming that we don't do those things. Now, this text is not necessarily about the fact that, that uh, uh, it's not about not having fundraisers or raising money for church or the like. This text is about doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place. I've said it in sermons before, something very similar to this. It would be like if in the middle of the sermon, we had suddenly a break in an infomercial. Today's sermon is brought to you by... No, we're not, we're not, that's not what we're here to do. And furthermore, beyond all that, Think about what's going on in all of our lives right now. Right now, the, t the Holy Spirit lives and reigns and rules where? In the temple of the heart of every believer. And what's in here more often than not? What's going on in the world? 
concerned and worried about inflation? Are we concerned and worried about our income, about our retirement, about where the market is going? Are we concerned more about the almighty dollar? Are we angry or bitter or sad or or afraid of the things that are going on in the world even as we sit here in God's house? Do we forget why we are here? Is it hard for us to focus on why we are here and what this place is really all about? We need a cleansing too. To drive out the little money changer that's in our heart that's concerned more and more about the almighty dollar. It's a cleansing that begins with turning over the tables and a confession. Father, I've sinned. Father, I've sinned in countless ways against you. I've put countless worries and fears, set countless worries and fears up as golden little gods in the shrine of my own heart. Father, I've not lived a life of thanksgiving, but a a life of, of endless want. Father, I do need an animal, so to speak. I do need a lamb. but not a white fuzzy one. I need the real Passover lamb. I need the real Passover lamb. The one who shed his blood. Who would be the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The one who would cleanse the world. Not just one temple on one day. But one who would cleanse the world of all all sin. What a privilege it is, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to stand here and tell you that we have that Passover lamb. We have that Passover lamb that went up to his father's house. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The sins that we confessed, the sins that I just reiterated, they are gone. They are cleansed. They are washed away in the blood of Christ. They are nailed to the cross. That's what makes our Father's house and the temple of our hearts so special. Because this is the place that we bring ourselves in, that we drag ourselves in, tired, worn out. This is the place where we learn time and time and time again of the One who took His final steps. Of the Lamb who took His final steps up to His Father's house. For you, for me, for all people. All out of love. After our Savior drove out those money changers, The focus was set aright. Then the place could be used for what it was supposed to be used for. The place where they had set up those stalls and the money changing tables and all the animals, that was known as the court of the Gentiles. And it it was there. That was a place where the Gentiles could come and hear the Word of God. That's why Jesus was so angry. That was a place where they could come and hear about the Word of God. But having cleansed it, Jesus refocuses everything. And we find out there's some immediate results to Jesus cleansing the temple. Well, We come down to, to verse 14. And we see that the blind and the lame were coming to Him in the temple. And He healed them. 
all these people were coming back in, having seen this, this, well, for lack of a better word, this miraculous cleansing, this one guy driving out all the money changers. Having seen this, all these people start coming to him. The sick, the blind, the weak, the lame. Those outcasts from society, they were coming in and they were being healed by Jesus. And we hear that. These people were coming in and being healed by the Lord. And at this hour of the day, after a long day at school or a long day at work, it, it might be easy to yawn at such a verse. Yes, yes, Jesus heals things. We've seen him do this before. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. He healed people. But I pray that we won't tonight. I pray that we won't glance over or give this verse a yawn because there's nothing routine about these miracles for those that were healed. Nothing routine for those families who were so blessed and touched by their Savior's love. Families who would not soon forget how Jesus had miraculously restored their sight or their ability to walk or how they enabled or encouraged others. Or maybe in a final, uh, or maybe in a few cases at least, for some of these people not to take their last steps, but to take their first steps ever, even as adults. So it's important that we don't just ignore this verse that follows on the heels of. Jesus cleansing the temple because of how it also plays into God's overall plan. Maybe you've been noticing a theme over the last couple of weeks. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and what do the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sanhedrin want to do? Kill him. Jesus goes, uh, goes to, to Bethany and he's sitting there at this dinner party of, of Simon the leper. And his, his disciples, uh, or as, as he's sitting there, and as word spreads farther and farther, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the teachers of the law, what do they want to do? Now they want to kill Lazarus. And Jesus. And today it doesn't get any better. When the chief priests and the experts in the law saw the wonders he performed, they were indignant. Because they were beginning to put two and two together and every miracle, every step Jesus took towards the cross, it became more and more apparent that He is the promised Messiah. That everything was falling into place just as the prophet Isaiah had foretold. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The crippled will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are indignant. But Jesus didn't shy away from performing these miracles. He didn't stop doing them. Even though he knew this would be yet another straw that would break the proverbial camel's back. Even though he knew that this would be yet another reason for his enemies to move forward with their sick, twisted, insane plot to try to capture and kill him even during the Passover. Jesus couldn't shy away from those hurting sinners. He can't shy away from you and me. And that's what these miracles, that's what this account shows us. It shows us the selfless love of Jesus. It shows us His zeal and His devotion to God the Father and His dedication to all of us, to all people. 
from the time that Jesus was a little boy and He knew that He was the true Passover Lamb to be given over to death, His blood shed, painted not on a doorway, but would be painted on a wooden cross. He knew that He was there at this time of fulfillment of His earthly ministry to proclaim there one final time to show that He is there for everyone. For the infant, for the child, for the young family, for the student, for the professional, for the elderly, for the blind, the sick, the lame, and the weak. From greatest to least, He's there for all. And this is the message that we focus on during the season of Lent. That Christ Jesus took these final steps for each and every one of us. He went to temple for Passover. His final steps led Him back to His Father's house to hear again of the Lamb's lamb's blood shed for the sin of the world. As we hear this message and we ponder that our Lord took these steps to His Father's house, in his final week of life, how humbling it is to see he would go there and be reminded again that he is the Lamb shed for the sin of the world. And how comforting it is to see that he takes those final steps for you and for me. Amen. That's all there is for today. There isn't any more for this podcast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you might consider subscribing to the podcast and you will get content four times weekly in your favorite podcast app with no further effort. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app you're listening to right now. Let me know if you can't find it or if you just want to say hello by emailing me at john.kirk at stmarkbemidji.org. Share God's word and share the light of the world. I also want to take this opportunity to invite you to church with us. Each and every week, we have two church services in Bemidji, Minnesota at 2220 Ann Street on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 1030 a.m. Additionally, we have a completely free cup of coffee that comes with a complimentary Bible study at 915 a.m. Each and every Bible study is led by a certified and college-educated minister. Or maybe you live in Walker, Minnesota. On the second and fourth Monday of every month, we also have church services there at 1100 Minnesota Avenue West at 7 p.m. Come as you are, and I hope to see you soon. If you have more questions or you want more information about our ministry, check out our website at www.stmarkbemidji.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.